Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. They're going to dribble this one out. Illinois has said, that's it. Loyola, Chicago. As Norris dribbles at half court, pumping his fist, hugs and handshakes all around. And how about this one? At Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, 2018's Cinderella just got a repeat invite to the Sweet 16. The Loyola Chicago Ramblers have upset the number one seed, Illinois. Welcome into the Danny Mac Show. It is the Monday edition. It is the Monday after, although it really continues today, the NCAA tournament. I'm Dan McLaughlin, Brandon Kiley. Tanner just went to find a trash can to uh, <laughs> throw up because he heard the final call of the Illini. So the Illini, one of the big favorites going into the NCAA tournament, BK, and they come up short. And Really, I don't know if you say it's an upset because the Ramblers were awfully good in that game. I mean, they literally from start to finish were the better team. Yeah. And you saw them early on. You could tell that their defense was giving Illinois trouble. That was as poor of a performance as I've seen from Io since he got to Illinois. And it, it's nothing against him. Like, this is not a shot against the kid. Loyal is just unbelievable defensively. And, Dan, that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. If you look at some of the the metrics that you can find out there, they were literally graded as the single best defensive team in the country this season. So coming into the game, that was the expectation. It hurt Illinois even more than I expected it to, though, in that one. And when you get a performance like that out of Io DeSumo, you're just not going to be able to beat uh, Loyola Chicago when they score 71 points. It's just not going to be able to happen. We're going to visit with Eamon Brennan from the Athletic College Basketball Writer. He is coming up. And uh, what it tells me, there's a couple of things this weekend told me. Number one, my bracket, uh, brackets were awful. <laughs> Filled out a bunch of them, like all kinds of oh, upsets. I know you got thirty-seven. Yeah. I think thirty-six of them have Wait, now hey, been on the fritz. <laughs> first time I haven't been down in spring training. I think I I'm going to take it. advantage of this, you know, and really like dive into the NCAA tournament. Mostly t- the time I'm at the ballpark or doing games or whatever. I'm like, no, man, I love what I do. I love college basketball too. So I was diving into this stuff. So there's a couple things. Uh, having done college basketball for a number of years, I, I thought. Would we go into this NCAA tournament with the bubble set up? And, yeah, there's crowds. And I thought the crowds were great. You know, it was nice to hear some fans. But I thought, you know what? Top seeds really could be the top seeds and roll over these lesser seeds. No, not not at all. Uh, there is great parity right now in college basketball. And, again, to your point, we need to look at the seeding. Like, when I'm watching the Ramblers play that game, I'm like, that's not an 8, that's not a 9, that's not a 10. they got to be way up further and start taking a harder look at just how good they were and some of these other teams as well. So, uh, to further the point that you're making, maybe the seeding wasn't quite right that they that they thought that they had coming into this tournament. Yeah, it's one of those things where you look at the seeding versus the quality, of, or excuse me, the resume versus the quality of the team, and the quality of the team for Loyola was clearly outperforming what their seeding was in this game. However, if you look at what their 
resume was from this season, it matched an eight seed. Like that, the it resume did. itself. But look, look at the Ken Palm though, hundred percent. This is where we've got to be able to incorporate some of the more advanced statistics for the selection committee. They need to lean more heavily on stuff like that. Now they did when it came to Mizzou seating. Mizzou seating was almost entirely dependent upon the Ken Palm type of rankings, right? When and you how you at, finished. Sure, but their resume itself was better than what their seeding was going into this tournament. And so you're almost receiving some mixed messages from the committee on where a lot of these teams were. And so, Dan, what you get in the end is some of these teams that are super hot coming into the tournament. Oral Roberts, look at how great they Mm -hmm. look right now. Oregon State, bad team almost the entire year. Finished really strong, and now you see them in the Sweet 16. Syracuse, not a great team for much of the season. Finishes strong, now they're in the Sweet 16. So it's a strange situation that we're in right now where I think some of the inequities within the scheduling have led us to where we are today. But yeah, as you said, Dan, we need to start incorporating some of this other stuff to be able to get better seating going in. Yeah, it's the advanced metrics, and maybe this is where if you're – into those things, you, you start saying there is legitimacy to this. So Illinois, they go sixteen and four, and arguably the best conference in the in the land this year. Twenty and six overall. They got better and better and better as they went along. They win the Big Ten championship in terms of the tourney. Uh, they fall in the second round, and Io DeSumo, he, you know, he was shut down for the better part of that game. So how does he want to re, uh, re, be remembered at Illinois? I'm hopefully remembered as you know, you know, the guys that really help turn this program around. That's what it's all about. You know, when I came to Illinois, I came here to try to, of course, win a national championship. But my main my main goal was to, you know, help get this program back on the map, help get this program back as one of the national powerhouses. And we'll see if he is headed to the NBA. Probably, you yeah, would have to assume. Um, now, number nine, Mizzou, they fall to number eight, Oklahoma, minus their second best score, 72-68 over the weekend on Saturday night. Drew Smith, Tried to keep the Tigers in it. He had 20 points. Tillman was 16. The one that is baffling to me is Xavier Penson. Where is Xavier Penson in this game? He was on the bench in the final 552, finished the game 1 for 7, 0 for 3 from behind the arc, 1 rebound, 5 assists, 2 points. Two points in that game was a non-factor. And I mentioned to you on Friday, I said, what are the two keys in my mind? Number one, it's Tillman. Jeremiah Tillman's got to be Tillman. He played great. The other one has got to be Xavier Penson. You got to have Penson step up, and he just he kind of ghosted at times down the stretch, and certainly in the biggest game of the year, he wasn't there. Yeah, and in fact, he was a net negative for the vast majority of that game. And I know there's a lot of Mizzou fans today that are sitting at home listening to us, Dan, or they're sitting at work and they're like, "Conzo Martin had to have Xavier Penson in the game down the stretch." No, that was the right decision by Conzo Martin. I know it hurts not having, as you said, one of your two most important players in the game. But Penson was hurting the team when he was in the game. He, he had too many turnovers that were just baffling. Other than the opening drive that he had, which was fantastic, going out in transition and finding a way to the bucket, it, he just didn't play well. He no. looked completely off, and he's one of those guys that plays off of momentum. When he gets hot early, you can tell it's going to be a big game for Penson, and you know he's going to be good late. This was the opposite. He was really not good early on after that first initial drive. And so... I thought Conzo Martin made the right call to go with Drew Bugs over him. Bugs was making the offense a little bit more efficient. He was moving the ball well. He's not going to be a guy that lights up the scoreboard. I get that. And it's frustrating to not have Pence in the game. 
They were better served by having Drew Bugs in that one. Yeah, Mizzou started six of seven and then went just five for twenty-seven. So they begin the season thirteen and three. They had the big win in the Bragg and Rights game at home against Illinois. Remember, they're number ten in the country. You think, okay, they got this thing rolling. Mizzou, they went nine and four against NCAA teams. They lost the seven of the final ten. And now under Conzo Martin, they are sixty-six and fifty-six. Now the previous three years. They were 27 and 68. So I know a lot of fans are frustrated with Conzo right now, and the cupboard looks fairly bare coming yep. back next year. So he's going to have to go to that transfer portal and do some some magic here because they don't have a lot coming back. I'm of two minds on this one, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle because I hear the choruses of Mizzou fans that are saying that they want Conzo Martin fired. He shouldn't be fired. Nope. But there's also the crowd that says, oh, Conzo Martin is great and he should be extended, and I'm not there either. I'm somewhere in the middle of... But you can't leave him dangling, though, if he goes out and recruits. That's the problem. It's not how college basketball works, and so I know how this is going to go. He's going to be extended, and I get it. I understand that. However, if I'm if I'm kind of a realistic Mizzou fan, this was supposed to be the year, Dan. They they had all of their seniors coming back. You had Jeremiah Tillman, Xavier Penson, Drew Smith, Mark Smith. Uh, you had everybody. Everything was leading to this year. And as you said, now it's all gone. And so next year you go into the season and your best player returning is Kobe Brown. Right. And that looks terrifying, frankly. If you're a Mizzou fan and you're going into next year and this is what the team looks like without uh, significant transfers coming in, there's got to be a lot of them. I don't feel good at all going into next year. And so. Not yet. You can't. There's a little bit of a cliff that is hanging on the other side. And so your quote unquote peak season was an eight seed that lost in the first round that had some great moments, no doubt about it. But it leaves you completely unfulfilled with the way that this season uh, came to a conclusion. And so it's frustrating. I get if you're a Mizzou fan that's frustrated today. I am in that same spot. I do not believe Conzo Martin should be fired. I think that's completely unfair and unrealistic of Mizzou fans to have that type of an expectation, given where the program was. But I do understand if you're left unsatisfied. So uh, you kind of hit it on the head with me. Where the program was... Then he got it to a crescendo, and you expected better things. Now, if you're an AD, you're Jim Sterk, or anybody in that position, you say, I, I get it. The, the culture is out there. Immediacy wins, right? You got to win, got to win, got to win. Sometimes if you stick with the guy and let him. Now, you may have a down year next year, but you get a recruiting class in. You go to the transfer portal. You try to get things going. That's one of the things that you have to do is to stay consistent and stay with your people to sometimes build up a program. Uh, people don't want that because they're not patient. I get it. But sometimes that's what you have to do. Uh, we got baseball, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to add one other thing. The The bell of the ball right now is Loyola, right? Yep. You look at Porter Moser. If you look at his resume, it's really interesting, Dan, because he was a guy that took a long time to get here. That's my point. Illinois State, he was not good. He got fired from Illinois State. He's an assistant on the end of the bench with Rick Majerus. And then he ends up going to Loyola, and it wasn't great early on. But then you get it like four or five years in, and he's at a Final Four. And then you have a little bit of a down year. They go to the NIT. Last year was a little better, but of course, no NCAA tournament. And now they're back in the Sweet 16 again. This can work. And Porter Moser, if you're looking stylistically for comparison for Conzo Martin, they play similar in terms of what they want. They want to be a hard-nosed, defensive, grinded-out type of a team. It's worked at Loyola. It took time. You've got to be a little patient. And so it's hard to be that way as a college basketball fan. But it can pay off if you've got the right guy. Well, you just hit it. I mean, as a fan, I'm not patient. I get it. 
uh, as a guy that sits in the seat like Jim Sterk, I understand where he's patient. you got to be patient. And people don't want to hear that, but that's where it has to be, especially when, I mean, remember when he when he took over this program, man? Previous three years, he had a total of 27 wins. So, I mean, it was rock bottom. And so sometimes you're going to have the up and downs, ups and downs as you go along. Uh, baseball today, uh, let's give you the lineup. They're playing the Marlins, and Sandy Alcantara will be on the mound for the Marlins. He'll be their opening day starter. Carpenter is at second base. Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung, Yachty, Carlson, Dean is in left field, Bader, and Jack Flaherty is on the mound. And you can see that game on Fox Sports Midwest uh, beginning at noon. Eamon Brennan from The Athletic will be our guest. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. We head out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Eamon Brennan of The Athletic covers college basketball, and everybody's bracket is really solid right now, and I'm sure Eamon's is as well, and Eamon has been kind enough to join us on the Danny Mac Show with BK. Eamon, good morning, and thanks for uh, doing this. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, I'm doing well. I enjoyed the basketball. I don't enjoy my bracket the way that it looks, all 10 of them that I filled out. So it was a crazy uh, weekend of college basketball. It'll be another crazy day today. What's your initial take from what you saw over the weekend with the NCAA tournament? Yeah, um, really wild stuff. I mean, we always kind of come into the tournament expecting some chaos, and I think this tournament being sort of a weird one-off event in its own way. I mean, I think maybe on visually speaking, it's kind of easy to forget, um, you know, watching on TV that this is all in the same location and that there aren't like eight different sites all over the country and teams aren't traveling from place to place. And um, obviously there aren't as many fans in the buildings. Um, So I was kind of curious as to whether this would be maybe a little bit more clinical NCAA tournament, if that makes sense, like a little bit less crazy, um, the best teams winning on a regular basis, um, you know, without that sort of element of, oh boy, it's, it, you know, there's eight minutes left and the favorite is still down by seven here and they look really tight and scared and the crowd's kind of turning against them and you get that sort of anxious feeling in the pit of your stomach. Um, I was wondering if it would, if that would be a little bit different, but that's been totally present, I feel like. Um, that comes to the TV screen. I've been anxious watching teams I have no emotional investment in, so I'm sure they feel the same way as well. And, yeah, it's led to a lot of drama um, throughout the bracket, particularly, you know, in the Midwest region. But, um, you know, UCLA playing Abilene Christian in, in the second round today, that's that's something that, we, you know, that's a, that's a pretty um, remarkable sort of state of affairs given kind of what I would – I guess kind of what I was expecting – Coming into the tournament, it hasn't really been that at all. What do you think's the bigger cause for this? Is it the seating that was messed up because of what was a strange season? There were inequities in the scheduling, or is it more about what you were talking about with the tournament itself, where you're in this uh, semi bubble in Indianapolis and things are different and it's strange? Like, what if you were looking for a cause for what we've seen thus far? Which one do you think deserves more of that? You know, I. It's a really good question. I don't know that there is one. I think my sort of Occam's razor explanation would be that it's just the NCAA tournament and crazy stuff happens in the NCAA tournament. Um, that's kind of always the case. I do think, you know, there are isolated examples like Syracuse being an 11 seed um, was correct 
and their resume was deserving of an 11 seed, and they were probably a little bit lucky based on their resume to not have to play in the, um, you know, play in games on on uh, Thursday. But you know, I think watching them play down the stretch of the season, and it, particularly in the ACC tournament, uh, with the way Buddy Beheim was playing, the way their zone was looking, the shots they were getting. They definitely had that Syracuse is going to make a run sort of feel to them. Um, I mean, they almost beat Virginia uh, on a neutral floor at the ACC tournament before a buzzer beater. So, yeah, that that's a team that even as an 11 seed, you kind of look at with the way they play in, in the tournament and against teams that don't see their zone very often. You think, okay, that, that team could be a problem. I think a team like Loyola Chicago, look, for the large portion of the season – Adjusted efficiency metrics like KenPom.com has been telling us that Loyola Chicago on a per possession basis is one of the 10 best teams in the country. Um, now, were they underseeded relative to that? Yes. Relative to their actual wins and losses? Not necessarily. So they were always going to be a tough matchup for whoever they got, particularly if it was the number one seed in the second round. But if they had been a 10 seed, um, they would have been a nightmare matchup for some number two seed. You know, they were always going to be, trouble but they're just better they were just better than illinois that game never felt like an upset throughout because they were just so much more comprehensively better and i think that kind of tracks with what we've seen um you know illinois is really good too but that's a top 10 team they played and they just lost on a neutral floor um and so that adds a little bit to the craziness where it doesn't those don't feel super crazy to me but yeah i mean oregon state came out of nowhere to win the pac-12 tournament they weren't good this year um <laughs> oral roberts as a 15 seed into the sweet 16 is historically crazy uh, Abilene Christian, fun team, great defensive team, but I really like that Texas team and the fact that Abilene, you know, forced them into 23 turnovers on like 60 possessions is is crazy. So yeah, we I think the simplest explanation is probably that crazy stuff happens in the tournament with a mix of you know there are some te- there are some teams out there that are dangerous and far more dangerous than their seed would suggest. Eamon Brennan of The Athletic covers uh, NCAA college basketball as our guest. I want to stay on the local level here with Missouri. They they were 9-4 and four against NCAA teams, but lost seven of their last ten. Close game in round one, but they lost. How would you uh, take a look at the Missouri team this year under Conzo Martin and what he was able to do inside the SEC getting this team to the NCAA tournament, which is the first time in a while, and just a, a general feeling of, of their season. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, we were, I was talking about adjusted efficiency metrics before. They're not the be-all and end-all. Right. And particularly this year when things were a little crazy in the non-conference and teams, you know, there wasn't quite as much cross-pollination of leagues and that sort of stuff. But Missouri is one of those teams that after they beat Illinois early in the year when I don't think Illinois was nearly as good as they ended up being, um, you know, and they beat, they won at Arkansas, which is a great win in retrospect. But, they, you know, they were the type of team that won a lot of games in pretty narrow margins, and that is a skill, and that's absolutely important. But you know, they were, that also, you know, because they weren't blowing people out, there was always a little bit of suspicion, at least to me, that their wins and losses midway through the season weren't quite reflective of where they were. Um, and I think we saw a little bit of that regression to the mean down the stretch. You know, it's a team that played – you know, uh, with the exception of the, the loss at Ole Miss, I think they got blown out at Ole Miss uh, midway through the year. But other than that, pretty much every game they lost was close, hard-fought, single digits, or or even narrower. Um, you know, you just you get those wins early in the year. You get a bucket or two. I mean, we're seeing it in the tournament now. One shot goes down 
with 35 seconds left and puts you up by five and you basically won the game. That shot doesn't go down and then it's a tie game and then who knows. This, these kind of fine margins make the difference. And I thought that was kind of the story of Missouri's season in a lot of ways. That's not a bad thing. You know, like I, they probably overachieved early in the year. They probably underachieved a little bit late in the year. But when you're just playing tight game after tight game, you, you open yourself up to that kind of variance. That was kind of the story of their season, I thought. Um, you know, a lot of really good wins, like you said, a really good record. Uh, never really in doubt that they were going to get into the NCAA tournament, but but sort of regressing to the mean down the stretch, put them in a situation where they had to play a tough Oklahoma team in the first round, and even if they had survived, they would have been playing a number one seed. You mentioned earlier that Illinois game against Loyola-Chicago. I'm with you. That never once felt like Loyola was the lesser team. They, from start to finish, looked like they completely controlled the game, whether it be with the tempo, their defense, that was just suffocating to Sumu. I mean, it... It was a strange game that I knew going into it was going to be tough for Illinois, and yet I left being just stunned at the way that Loyola made Illinois look. If I'm an Illini fan today, Eamon, what what do you say to me to console me after watching my team when I thought they could legitimately win a national championship go down against Loyola? Yeah, I mean, look, it happens sometimes. I think that game was the best sort of second-round matchup that we've seen since the Wichita State team that was undefeated with Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker and those guys coming into the tournament. Um, they caught a Kentucky team that year that ended up going to the national title game that was an eight seed that, you know, deserved to be an eight seed because of their resume, but I think won the SEC tournament and, like, had Julius Randle, and you're like, oh, God, this Kentucky team is going to be a problem in the tournament. Like, they, they just it took them forever to figure it out. But once they did, it was, like, scary. And, you know, that that Wichita State team lost and earned, I think, everyone's respect because everyone kind of understood how good Kentucky was. Um, And it just happens. Sometimes you catch a team in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes the team's resume isn't as good as they actually are, and that happens sometimes with mid-major teams especially. Um, You know, I I kind of canvassed uh, Illinois fans, and they were down pretty bad yesterday. But – I think there were some that were just like, look, we just got, we just got outplayed. Like, I think if you lose on a buzzer beater or, you know, you have a chance to win the game at the end and someone dribbles it off their leg uh, in the last five seconds, that feels like a sickener. But for Illinois, I think they just, you know, you come up against a really good team that, I, that again, I said, like we thought for months now was top 10, that whoever they played in the second round of the tournament was going to have issues with. Um, and you don't play your best game. And, yeah, I think game plan-wise and execution-wise, top to bottom, um, and the Illinois coaching staff probably has to take a look at itself for, for some of this stuff as well, as well as the players. I think just really from A to Z, Illinois, uh, Loyola Chicago excuse me, was just better. They had a better game plan. They executed it better. They ran their stuff better, and they guarded better. And, and I think at the end of the day, you kind of just have to tip your cap. What do you think it's going to be like for these teams now that have survived and they head to the Sweet 16, but they stay in the bubble and how that affects games next weekend, if at all, meaning that they have to sit around, they're, they're basically just you know quarantining essentially inside a hotel, not able to, to do the normal things of what they might do in a regular season. Do you think that'll have any effect on the play next weekend? I don't think so. I mean, I think by this point, these guys are pretty pretty much used to it, like, they haven't been in this exact environment, right. um, but for pretty much the entire season, really since most of them got back on campus, and it happened differently in different parts of the country, but midway through last summer, late last summer, uh, even early fall, 
pretty much everyone has been in, you know, not entirely a bubble, but, but basically a bubble. Um, these, uh, these, um, you know, college campuses are pretty much locked down and the, you know, for, for basketball players and within an athletic department. So everybody's kind of used to it. I don't think, I think if anything, it'll probably feel a little bit like, um, like an, an AAU tournament in that you just, you go show up, you screw around and play video games in hotel rooms. So the 90% of the time you're there and then you go play four games in a day. Not quite that, quite that same feel, but, um, all year I've been talking to players about this and that was kind of the thing they were looking forward to about getting to the NCAA tournament was having this kind of weird once in a, once in a lifetime sort of feel to the thing and how it would kind of remind them of, of playing AAU stuff as, as high schoolers and, and kids. And I think it's kind of fun in its own right. I think most, most of the people there are, are enjoying it at that level. Um, and there are, and there are probably people who aren't, you know, everybody's opinion is different who aren't super happy about having to be stuck there, not being able to see their parents. But I think everybody that I've spoken to by and large coaches, players, staffers, all that good stuff, you know, they've worked really hard to get here. They've sacrificed a lot over the last year in terms of um, social social stuff and being able to be a normal college kid or whatever. Um, they've done the same things that a lot of us have done, but but to a more extreme extent in, in some cases. And now it's like, you, you know, you're still there a week later. Um, I think everybody's pretty locked in. Eamon Brennan of The Athletic joining us here on 101 ESPN. Eamon, last question that I've got for you. I wanted to ask about the Big Ten as a whole. I asked about Illinois earlier, but I my bracket, the, the strategy that I went in with basically was the Big Ten is better than everybody else, and so just advance those teams as far as you can. And now I'm without Wisconsin, Purdue, uh, Ohio State, Illinois, and Rutgers. And today you've got Michigan taking on LSU, Iowa versus Oregon, and Maryland versus Bama. Was I too high on the Big Ten coming into this, or is this a matter of one-offs? And like you said with Illinois, sometimes you just run into the wrong team. Yeah, like so. I wrote about a little bit about this after Ohio State and Purdue lost on the first day of the of the first round, and like it's. <laughs> This happens, I feel like, every year in the tournament, whatever conference it is. And I don't know what – like the Big Ten seems to have a bit more of a um, a target on its back in terms of banter. Uh, on the Internet, people seem to really enjoy saying that it's overrated for whatever reason. Um, but conferences, in my personal view, even this year in a weird year where, again, there wasn't the same cross-pollination between conferences, I don't think conferences can be overrated or underrated based on what happens in the tournament. It's a series of single elimination games. Matchups are different. Typically, geography is different. Like, it's just weird stuff happens, and it's mostly coincidental. I think anyone who tells you that the Big Ten is overrated, um, were they saying that Illinois didn't deserve to be a number one seed? But no. You know, did Ohio State not deserve to be? They weren't saying that a week ago. Um, so it's just a little – that stuff is all a little silly, and, you know, you sort of look at sample size, and we've got, like, 25, 30 games to, to go off of versus one. Um, I don't think you were crazy to take the Big Ten going deep. I think, you know, the, the thing about the Big Ten this year is not only did it have really good teams at the top, but it had a lot of depth. So the Big Ten has basically been decimated in the tournament already, but you've still got Michigan as a number one seed and Iowa as a number two. So you've got hope there, and I think that's the conference's hope as well. Um, obviously, they want to keep – I think the league office would have been much happier to keep many more of these pieces on the board um, to get to the Final Four, to get to a national title game. Uh, but they still have a couple pretty powerful pieces out there. 
Uh, my final question on a local level, E.J. Liddell. He was a two-time uh, basketball player out of uh, Illinois, the state of Illinois. we got a lot of fans that listen uh, in that state. We go over in that state, and a lot of people here locally followed him. I'm sure you've seen what's happened on social media with him. Uh, just awful comments, disparaging remarks after Ohio State's loss. Does the NCAA try to step in and help this young man or try to find these people that are doing this thing or does Ohio State do something about this? It looks like they're going to but in general, what are your thoughts on this? And it happens all the time. It's just he went public with it. So I'm curious your thoughts on what uh, EJ is going through and and some of the other players. Yeah, it's terrible. Honestly, it's terrible. I mean, um, you know, I follow English soccer a lot and this has been like a, a constant point of conversation over there and those guys are professionals. And a lot of it, the, the conversation has revolved around race, but a lot of people are just talking about like, you know, like I can't look at any social media after a game because it's literally just thousands of comments saying horrible things. Um, and social media companies are not particularly good at policing this sort of stuff. Right. Um, they just, they just aren't. And so I think it starts there. Like these are the companies that operate for profit um, to allow people to connect with one another, Facebook and Twitter, being the two primary ones in, in this instance. Um, obviously, Facebook owns Instagram, which is where a lot of this stuff comes from as well. And it's all, it's like it's on those companies, first and foremost, I think, to like do something about this. You know, get moderation in that is more than just a, a bot that doesn't notice when people are, are sending like horrible racist emojis and stuff. Like, start there. And then, yeah, I think Ohio State um, has already said they're going to try and prosecute person who was sending messages to EJ Liddell, I'm sure there was more than one. Um, and that, you know, I think Ohio State is the kind of place with the resources to really do that. But you think about if this had happened to a kid at Abilene Christian or something, some small school that doesn't have resources for this, that doesn't want to get into it, whatever the case may be, and say he misses a free throw to not cover the spread in their next game or whatever. And, like, how isolating would that be? How horrible would that make you feel if, after you already feel horrible based on what happened in a basketball game? Like, People need to have a look at themselves uh, and, and how they act on the Internet. But I think social media companies need to really work on supporting average people, but also particularly high-profile people, young athletes, people who need this sort of help. Because, you know, I think EJ, EJ Liddell should be able to have a, a relatively normal life. He's not Kim Kardashian or whatever. And he should be able to go on Instagram without being verbally abused because he lost a basketball game. No Great. doubt. No doubt. Hey, well put. Really enjoy your work at The Athletic. I'm a subscriber. I read you all the time. So uh, thanks for doing this today, and we appreciate it. And we'll hopefully we'll catch up before this uh, tournament is through. Awesome, yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. That's Eamon Brennan from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at E-A-M, as in Mr. O-N-N, Brennan, B R E. N-N-A-N. I like what he had to say there about E.J. Liddell. Yeah, it's tough, too, because like I I tend to agree with him. It's more on the social media platforms than the schools itself because, Dan, let's be honest, man, this stuff is so widespread. It's unbelievable. That, I mean, it, it, can you prosecute one or two individuals? Sure, but that's not even... I, that's not even a portion of right. what where this is happening. I mean, it happens in football, too. You have a kicker that misses a last-second kick, and suddenly you're looking at it, and it's like you go over to just search his name on social media, and it's some of the things that are said about them are insane, like things that I would never even think of. And so it, it's easier said than done, but I, I really I wish I could even begin to describe how you – 
fix something like this, I don't think I have the answer. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac Show on a Monday, the NCAA tournament. We just got done talking with Eamon Brennan about that, and there are a bunch of games still going on uh, today with the oddity of this season because it got pushed back a day. So you got Oregon, Iowa, Oklahoma, Gonzaga, uh, Abilene Christian, UCLA. That'll be a fun game. Ohio against Creighton, LSU against number one Michigan, Colorado, Florida State, Maryland, Alabama, USC, and KU. Those are the games that are scheduled for today in the NCAA tournament. We gave you the lineup. Uh, in our uh, first segment for the Cardinals today, Carp, Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung, Yachty, Carlson, Dean, Bader, and Flaherty. And you can see the game at noon today on Fox Sports Midwest. Danny Mac show, Dan McLaughlin with uh, our good buddy BK and Tanner Hendrickson. And we had the game over the weekend. John Gant looked pretty good and some of the bench players doing so as well. So Mike Schilt was asked about the players who are still competing for spots on this team. I mean, you know, we can easily list guys that, that um, have competed well this spring and, and will continue. They're good players, you know. You're talking about the extra infield spot. Sosa clearly is a guy we're familiar with. Ron Doan's coming here and really made a, a name for himself. Plays well, um, given the opportunity, and he's gotten plenty of opportunities to take advantage of him. Max Moroff's had a nice camp, you know, two-run homer off the bench yesterday. Um, you know, these guys play good defense, run the base as well, all of them. You know, the outfield, you talk about Nagowski, you know, he's a guy that we just mentioned. And you're talking about Dean and Thomas and, and Williams have all had really good camps. So um, all these guys are doing their best to, to give themselves every opportunity to make this ball club. And it's nice to have that kind of competition, that kind of depth. BK, the guy that stands out to me and he's forcing his way onto this team potentially is John Nagowski. Ten runs batted in. That leads the team. He's got seven walks, only three strikeouts, a 533 on-base percentage. What's going to be interesting, and I, I, we got to find out this week, is whether or not Justin Williams has the extra option. Now, if he does, I would say you could have a four-man bench carry an extra pitcher, even with four days off in the first month. If he doesn't, it could be a five-man bench. And, you know, one of the, the things I look at is Nagowski and even Rondone making this team with Kisner, Carpenter, and Williams. And you're saying, well, what happens to Sosa? Sosa would be potentially exposed on waivers and picked up by another team. You would have a backup in shortstop in Tommy Edmond, even though he's your everyday second baseman. But that's something to think about. Rondon can play short, too. But they do have some. These guys have made these decisions very tough for the Cardinals, which is a good thing to have. And I'm not sure they were expecting Nagowski or Rondon in the final week of spring training to be in this conversation. Well, it's two-sided coin, right? They've made it difficult, and Sosa and Williams haven't done enough to just completely shut the door on any of those conversations. If they had shown out in spring training and looked excellent, uh, they were just pounding the ball the way that you've seen from Nagowski and Rondon. Well, yeah, it's easy. Those guys, potentially out of options, you just keep them in the big leagues and Hey, Nagowski, Rondon, great camp. Unfortunately, the guy that was ahead of you also had a fantastic camp, and so there's just not a spot for you right now. That hasn't been the case for much of the spring, and so now it becomes really interesting. And those last roster spots is really what we're talking about because you're going to have a backup catcher. It sounds like that's going to be Kisner. Matt Carpenter's going to make this roster. My guess is Lane Thomas is probably going to make this roster. That could change depending on what happens with the Justin Williams options. He's situation. got options. That's the thing with Thomas. He's got options, and that's what makes this a numbers game and makes it kind of difficult. But that's when you get to 
John Nagowski. And Dan, if they're going to take their best 26 into opening day, he's got to be part of it. He's got to be part of it. Now, the question is, are they going to take their best 26? Because, as you mentioned, there is some... I don't want to call them loopholes, but there's there's roster management that has to be taken into account here. And I get it if you're the Cardinals and that's something that you have to talk about. Because if Edmundo Sosa is out of options, and he is, you want to keep him with the big league club. I get that. If Justin Williams ends up being out of options, you don't want to find out with another team, once again, that you let go of a power-hitting outfielder before you gave him a chance with your roster. I get that as well. But... I also see the other side of things where it's like, yeah, but John Nagowski looks like he could be that guy as well. Do you just want him wasting away at an alternate site camp where none of those numbers count for you in any meaningful way? It's tough. Yeah, The other part, too, is depending on how many pitchers you do carry. So that depends on a five or a four man bench. I, I also see a competition maybe for the last bullpen spot and how the Cardinals want to approach this. Cody Whitley has had a very good camp. He's a strike thrower. He just gets outs. I I love watching this kid play. The other guy is Jake Woodford. Now, do you send him to an alternate site, let him start in the rotation at AAA, and make sure he is stretched out to where if you needed him in the big leagues to give you multi-innings out of the bullpen, you could do that. Or if there was a need to make a start, he would be inserted into your rotation. Oviedo would be in that conversation too, but I think they want more seasoning with him. So potentially, you could have Woodford and Whitley being a part of this conversation as well. Both guys do have options and how they want to, and again, it's the numbers game that we talk about with roster construction coming out of spring. Um, The hard part for this is losing players. You don't want to lose, again, you mentioned it, you don't want to, I don't want to lose Sosa. Guy can flat out pick it. I mean, I I feel like if he played defensively the major leagues, he would be above average, well above average. Can he hit? That's the question. And again, the Randy Rosarena thing rears its ugly head because if Justin Williams goes somewhere else, or even Sosa, and he becomes on a lesser club, let's say a an everyday player, and all of a sudden he puts up numbers, you're going, uh oh, here we go again. That that's the that's kind of the rub on this thing. I think you have three spots for the following, Dan. Three spots for these guys. Sosa, Williams, Nagowski, Rondon, Whitley, Woodford. I think you've got three spots for those guys combined. And so if you're if you're going into the season and you've got Sosa who has no options, Williams who has no options, and you want to add Whitley to that uh, bullpen, there's just no spots for Nagowski or Rondon. Now, as you said, you've got some off days early in the season. Maybe you decide, you know what, Whitley, we're going to keep you down in the alternate site. That's how you open up a, a spot on the bench for Nagowski or Rondon. Are they willing to do that? That's where the questions come in. What do you have coming up with uh, you and Alex? Yeah, coming up today, we've got to get a, some input from Tanner because, you know, his team, Illinois. Mm. I'd mentioned he was early in the, the, the show. He was throwing up in the trash can. Yeah, he he was convincing me all <laughs> season long that his squad was the best team in the country. I even played We Are the Champions. He uh. TKO'd him. He TKO'd him. Did so we've really? got to get his thoughts on what happened to the Illini over the weekend. We'll talk about that. I'll give my thoughts on Mizzou. we got to get uh, Alex's thoughts on a really good weekend for the Blues outside of one very unfortunate mm. injury. So we'll get into all that coming up today. You've been listening to Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.